It looks like you're in front of a control panel for a nuclear reactor. The scram <laughs> button is an emergency shutdown button that is used to terminate the fission reaction immediately. If you are hearing alarms, it may indicate that something is wrong with the reactor and you need to act quickly. I oh. pushed it. Is that bad? <laughs> <laughs> You pushed the scram button? Why did you do that? Did you see any signs of a problem with the reactor? Pushing the scram button may have serious consequences for the reactor and the surrounding area. It may cause a loss of power, a release of radiation, or a meltdown. You should immediately notify the authorities and explain what you did. So Chris, two weeks after we talked about the French company Minstrel AI raising $113 million in seed capital to build a competitor in France to OpenAI, today we heard that Inflection AI has raised a further $1.3 billion, B, wow. $1.3 to build a vertically integrated AI studio that will also compete with OpenAI. Now, wow. this company raised just one year ago, $225 million from, I believe, Greylock and with personal money from Reid Hoffman. And Reid Hoffman's co-founded this company. Reid Hoffman is the guy who created LinkedIn, for those that don't know. He's he, also a partner in Greylock, isn't he? Yeah, he is. So, it's a real inside job. And <laughs> <laughs> so, Google, he, he's co-founded the business with Google DeepMind's co-founder, Mustafa Suleiman and they have now raised this additional 1.3 billion and they've brought on further investment from Microsoft, Bill Gates, Eric Schmidt and also Nvidia. Oh right, when I first saw that the DeepMind guy was involved, I figured he'd sort of defected from Google, but this is sort of like with Google's blessing, is it? Well, uh no google haven't oh well eric schmidt's personally invested but it's not google investing eric schmidt's long gone so i don't know if there's any connection oh, right. or relationship but yeah wow. it's a yeah. huge amount of money and if you believe the rumors they're going to spend you know roughly a billion dollars potentially acquiring gpus from nvidia so it's kind of a weird deal like nvidia's <laughs> given the money to pay them back the money to then recognize that as as revenue. Wow, yeah, I mean great great deal for Nvidia and Nvidia. I'm always so I'm not confident saying that word anymore, but that's yeah, I mean it's a good deal for them but also a billion dollars in hardware. You've got to think about what are they going to be using that for? Like obviously training their large models, but once the models train, do they expect to get that much business in inference that they can continue to to justify owning that much hardware? Yeah, so just to catch everyone up, so Inflection AI today has their large language model, which is very similar to chat GPTs uh, or, or GPT 3.5 and GPT 4 called Inflection 1 LLM, which is currently an in-house LLM, but they do intend to release it as an API. And then they're saying that today, and this is by their own benchmarking, that Inflection 1 is comparable to or, or superior in some ways to GPT 3.5, Llama, and Palm 540B on a wide range of benchmarks. And they're saying that they are going to release a technical memo soon detailing how the model can be in the same compute class as GPT-4 and, and, and Palm 2. <laughs> technical technical memos. So it's like, you're just going to write us a letter. We are better. Trust yeah, us. this is like all of these so-called competitors, like, don't worry, like our model's better, but you can't. You can't see it yet. Yeah, I, and it's interesting as well that they, they've they really latched onto this idea of benchmarks. Like, oh, we've got this, you know, we're 51% more approval rating than GPT 3.5 and things like that, as if it's something you can just quantify in a figure and people are just going to go, oh, well, I'll pick that because I get a 0.1 differential rather than focusing on the practicalities of using it. Yeah, so... They also have, um, they, like, as I said earlier, they it's a vertically integrated AI studio. So they're, they're coming out of the gate and saying they're going to build the models, they're going to release them as APIs, and then they're going to build this personal AI assistant on top, which is called Pi. You can actually use it today by going to their website. And we've been playing around with it before recording this show. What did you think of Pi? 
Yeah, well, I did my usual where I try and mess with it and like confuse it or like get it upset and things like that. And it reacted, you know, the way you'd expect. It's it's obviously got its own safety filters and things like that. But, you know, really, as we sort of said last week, like I'm coming to expect the quality of them. And it definitely was at the quality that you see when chatting with other models like GPT 3.5 and 4. I didn't try anything so advanced that would would really push it to the test. Did you? Yeah, I tried to build a Pong game with um, with Python, like get it to write some Python code to build a game. And yep. you know how sometimes if you ask G, well, well when you ask GPT 3.5, which is just the standard chat GPT to write you some code, it would sort of start writing it and then just like stop for whatever reason. And yeah, then you'd have yeah, to yeah. like keep going. <laughs> well, and then with GPT-4, it, it seemed to be a lot better at that. And you don't have to nudge it as much. But man, if, if writing code is anything to judge an LLM by, it's shockingly bad. Uh, it 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 kind of took the L very early in writing the code <laughs> out. But the yeah, I thought the what I thought was cool about it is I really like the user interface they've got. I think it's really unique. And I also thought that it's got personality. It was kind of fun to interact with. One other really interesting aspect, because when you first told me about it, I said, oh, how do I get access? You're like, you just go there. They're not even really asking for anything in order for you to be able to try it. Yeah, there must be some fancy IP detection, session detection in place to stop it getting spammed or, or you know, destroyed yeah, that Yeah, or way. someone building one of those like bootleg APIs like they have for um, Midjourney where it's like they've built an API that just uses the web interface as a, as a way to get free API calls or whatever. Um, Do you think the problem with something like Pi though being competitive to ChatGPT now is the fact that ChatGPT is such a big global brand now. I, I forget the, the data we read a couple of weeks ago, but it's something like 70 something percent of americans have heard of chat gpt or are aware of it yeah it's it's so ubiquitous now like i've heard of actual like schools so for example i had a, a young uh, girl i know who's in year seven she's at school and they're using it for godot programming you know the clone of unity that um you know so it's like making video games and that part of their class is using chat gpt to get the code the scripting code i believe it's c sharp or one of those languages, but to get the code from ChatGPT, put it in, massage the code till it works. And her big complaint was the code's not accurate and we don't know how to fix it. <laughs> but isn't but, that interesting? But that, yeah, like, that's ChatGPT what I mean. Is it's, a, yeah. it's in the hearts and minds. It's already on the home screen yeah. on iOS. I just wonder as, as far as penetration goes, if does this 1.3 billion need to go to marketing as much as it does need to go to GPUs to train better models? And honestly, like, yeah. is it brand versus model? Like, will people really pick the best model if you're a consumer? I'm not, I don't know. And the other interesting thing to note just on the raw hardware thing, like just last week and the week before, we were talking about this idea that quality data sets can train smaller models that give better results based on the tasks you're doing. We also found out that GPT-4 is really actually seven GPT-3s or something working together in unison and this whole multi-agent thing, which we'll talk about was that, later. Was that but confirmed the, though, or is this just a theory by that George Hobbs? I'm pretty sure that was confirmed by people. Yeah, I, I should have the reference and I don't, but I'm pretty sure that it's solidly confirmed that it's actually a sort of multi-model thing, you know, with an orchestration layer uh, working like that, which is what makes it effective. And so the idea that you can brute force train a better model is in question. Like, is it just a matter of size anymore? Or is it a matter of the way you fit them together and the way you sort of orchestrate multi-model? And so it's a very interesting point around, if you go spend a billion dollars on hardware, you better know what you're gonna use it to train it on because you know, you're gonna have to come up with something so good to capture so much of the market to continue to justify owning that hardware once you reach the inference stage. Yeah, I, I sort of see this era potentially with startups training models as like those air on chairs that you saw in the the <laughs> days of, you know, like when there's a big bubble and then it bursts and then everyone's selling the chairs. I wonder if these cards are just going to be like at a flea market, like... Yeah, or, like if you could if you could just be disciplined to wait and you want a H100 five years from now, you'll be getting them from garage sales and, uh, you know, just on, on eBay and stuff like that. 
Yeah, I guess the question here is these guys are really intelligent. They know the cost of these cards and this hardware is going to come down over time. Maybe not for a while, That's but true. it will yeah. come down. And then once prices come down and it's really easy to train these LLMs, does that mean like to compete now, you just have to train proprietary LLMs or? Well, and the thing is like we spoke previously that you can lease them you know like on lambda you can le lease the h100s i think they said that you can train your own gpt3 in 46 days i think it is or 46 hours sorry not days 46 hours um just on a rented cluster um with one h100 i think it is so the idea that only the big companies are going to be the, the only ones who have large language models that are proprietary is not true anyone will be able to train them it's just you need to have something unique that no one else has and so i think you're right i think they must either have had this plan in the works and are sort of foolishly proceeding with it or they know something we don't know about the capacity of where they can get to with larger models and it might be just that it's simply a land grab they're like well if we have the hardware we can get out there and having something competitive and they know those enormous usage figures of things like chat gpt and they just want a piece of the market and if, if throwing money at that is what you need to do to get it um then they will yeah reed hoffman's been pretty clear that his vision for the future with ai is that you'll have this personalized agent to you who, you know, understands. And we, we've talked about personalized agents a ton on this podcast mm. about how it's very personalized to you. It helps you in all aspects of your life and it makes you more productive and it just makes everything easier for you. So I think that's their vision of the future in terms of building this pie product is this personalized large language model. And we also saw this week and I can't reference this, which is frustrating because when I went back to go to the tweet, it's been deleted because it was a leak of chat GPT in an interface update where it had some interesting things. Uh, first of all, you could in the settings, give it personal context about you. So you could give it more information as a, a like contextual reference. It might be that, you know, I'm male and I live in this city and I like these things or I'm working on this or whatever it is just to give it greater context um so it can hold really like stateful conversations about you but yeah and you're not having to constantly reminded of of its priorities and and what's going on every single time you interact with it yeah which is really frustrating as someone that uses it a fair bit and then also this concept of workspaces and these workspaces i assume you could create a workspace add a bunch of files to it and then interact with those files like we've seen just a thousand tech demos of on Twitter all the time, people using Langchain to, to whip these kind of things up. So yeah, so you give it sort of a ball of information, which it can then search, summarize, and then answer questions about. Yeah, so it seems like they're going with this workspace agent kind of view. And, and that sort of, I think, puts them in this competitive element with Microsoft's Copilot vision as well, which is such a bizarre relationship now between Microsoft and OpenAI. I don't even know what to make of it. Yeah, I mean, partly, I guess, it's them just fumbling around for once we do have the big models, how do we actually get more of the market and actually make money from the product? And clearly, just selling the API access isn't enough when other people are able to get their own models up and running. But I also think this concept of, you know, in-context agents, I call them agents, they're saying workspace. I think everyone's getting to know the terminology, but the idea that you will have specific models not trained per se, but with the right context information to answer the kind of questions you need for, say, your job or, um, you know, in your personal life. So we've seen people with in, uh, integrations with their email and their calendar, for example, and it can book them appointments or, you know, ones where it's got information about all of your work knowledge so you can answer work questions very quickly using it. And so the idea that you would have all of these different pre-made contexts that maybe stay up to date that you could work with, I can definitely see that playing out as a useful thing. It's just, I don't think that OpenAI can be the only ones to have that. I, I would still come back to brand because I think they've got the brand, they've got the hearts and minds, they've got the app install and they've got the distribution now to distribute AI to the masses. They've so, also got the the sort of novel, like everyone got through the novelty with them. So when we see a new one today, like Pi, we go on there, we throw a couple of little curveballs at it and then that's it. Like, will you really go back to it or are you just going to keep using ChatGPT? 
Well, and also, I mean, think about Bard. I, I know some people use it, but I certainly used it to test it out when it first came out just to talk about on this podcast. And I have never touched it again. I just load up. Th this is the honest truth. I just load up ChatGPT. Like they've already lost because, I, you know, it's like Spotify when Apple Music came out for me. I was like, I'm already ingrained in Spotify. I, I, I just never, all my friends were on it. Everyone was using it. So I never was like, oh, I'm going to go and get Apple Music. Yeah, and I guess if you, think, if you think about it, the whole workspace idea works because once you load up your context in a bunch of workspaces, you're not going to then go try and do that on some other product um, and redo all that work that you did setting it up to answer your questions. It's sort of a very utilitarian thing. Like, I want to use this now. Um, I just need my answers. I don't really want to try different ones in case it's like 1% better on the benchmarks or something. Yeah. And the other interesting piece for me is like, if you think about developing on large language models, third-party ones for app developers today, right? We're, as a developer, you're always just going to select the best model. And it's becoming easier and easier now to just flip in and out models based on what you're trying to do. So to me, where they probably don't have a mode or can establish a big business is with these APIs because, you know, a new competitor like this inflection one model can come out with an API. You can sub it in and go, wow, this is getting much better results. My users like it more. So I'll just use this. And no one is is any any the wiser that you're now not using GPT-4, you're using yeah. inflection one. And that also means a race on cost as well, right? Because if you don't lower, like if, if one's giving basically the same results and it's cheaper, um, you're gonna you're gonna just automatically switch to that, and we're also seeing a lot of improvements in the sort of API interfaces and syntax where you can sort of swap the models pretty readily. Like it's not that hard to switch between them. It's not like it's a sort of code based rewrite where you've got to do all this extra work to use the other model. It's simply I'll just swap this one in here for these problems because it's cheaper and and just as good. Yeah, or you're leveraging many models based on the task at hand. Like we've talked about previously, if you've got a simple task, it's like go use the cheapest model and it doesn't have to be that intelligent. But as more and more specialist models come out, you know, and I we've talked about this before that it you're sort of building an AI stack and these are just parts of that brain for your app that you're leveraging. Yes. Yeah, and I can very much see the way people used to have that share stack. What was it? Stack share, where people would talk about what tech stack they're using for their SaaS companies. Um, I can imagine people being like, oh, our AI stack is the following. You know, we've got GPT-4 controlling it. You know, we're using stability AI for the image generation. We're using this one for the transcription. We're using this one for whatever. And you know, they actually have a multi-model setup where it's it's customized to whatever the business is trying to do. It makes sense financially and in terms of in terms of the actual output. Yeah, so it's it if you're an app developer today building on OpenAI's APIs, so you're using their infrastructure, and now ChatGPT is advancing where it could potentially compete with something that you know you're doing. Do you think? that's going to lead more and more people as these costs come down to just go and spin up their own specialist large language model to people will people have the skill or the know how to do well this? and i don't know if you'll necessarily need the skill i can imagine custom model training as a service to become a thing where there's actual service pr services provided by these companies we spoke about it in the early days with OpenAI. remember you said that it was working with the big corporates to actually have dedicated models for their companies. And I imagine that people who want custom models for their business are either going to be able to rent a cluster on something like Lambda, use Hugging Face where you've got the ability to grab a model and customize it, or simply just have services that will build you a bespoke model for what you're trying to do that's cheaper and better. And most importantly, programmed on quality data that keeps the model size down so it's faster because remember there's a lot of superfluous stuff in the big models that you don't really need for some applications so i could certainly see that happening and maybe that's what having all these like a billion dollars worth of h100s gets you a bit more customization or are they going to go in the direction of just one model solves it all i actually don't know the answer to that yeah and if it's true that gpt4 is a series of like GPT 3.5s or whatever it is. Yeah. Then then maybe that is another where they've where they're actually training smaller specialized models and somehow combining that back up.
Yeah, and I think that's right. And I wonder as well when we see Pi just so effortlessly doing the sort of censorship isn't the right word, but, you know, like guiding you away from doing silly things and prompt injection. I think probably some of them are having this sort of multi-layer where things are running through a couple of models before you actually get your answer. So they're able to seamlessly do that kind of thing. It seems like something that was so difficult in the early days for them to control is now kind of effortless. Like it's sort of built into each one we see now. Yeah, the the it's advancing at such a rapid rate the it does seem though there's this divergent vision for these companies though one is that singular ai to rule them all that's that you just have one ai agent and you just that's like you know chat gpt and you just that's it the winner takes all approach and we've talked about this before they just eventually control everything with their super agi that works with you and i think that's looking far less likely now with all these new players like really big time players in the market yeah or the, i guess the alter alternate vision to that is that what mark zuckerberg talked about where you have multiple agents in your life almost like apps on a home screen on your iphone and you're just using specialist agents for now and then eventually you have an agent that controls agents Yes. And yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is starting I know that, to sound I know that sounds a little bit that, that does sound a little bit silly when it's said like that, but I think that is the vision. I think the idea is you will have a whole series of tools or like you know, a sort of stable of agents, and then you've got the horse master, if I can extend that metaphor, who's picking the right horse for the race. You know, like we're trying to do this today, we get this one, or this combination of them, or you have two of them work together, for example. I saw a great example in um in the Microsoft guidance, uh, actual official examples where they actually get a sort of democratic agent to debate with the Republican one. And it gives them a series of issues where they need to have a debate. And then at the end, summarize the conclusions and things they agreed on, things they couldn't agree on and things like that. So I could definitely see a world where you have hundreds of agents sort of coming up with the best solution to a problem. Yeah, it's, like that Congress to- of agents idea. Yeah, and like you could see things like whole marketing teams, you know, being replaced with these agents where they work on coming up, say, with the campaign together, including the actual copy, including the actual images. Like you could actually put a whole group of them together to work, all coming from slightly different perspectives with different contexts and things like that, and probably different models as well. So they're not all coming from the same reference point. And it could be quite valuable. You might not always use what they come up with but it's certainly another sort of area of input you could bring into your life and your business that would be valuable so if you're a company at the moment or you're a business looking to implement ai into into your app or just use it to be useful at your company would you trust building on these like with open ai given that maybe they do have some version of ChatGPT that could compete with everything or do you just acknowledge that they're going to go build this you know this assistant for work and that's <clears throat> okay I, I just don't know whether where to draw the line between are these companies going to be competitors to their customers or are they not and how do they manage that difference I mean it's pretty clear from inflection what what they're setting out to do with their personalized assistant but it seems like they need to have it as an API to get their version of the assistant into every app. Like maybe that's how they win by that assistant being present in every app. Well, I definitely think at the moment there's so many things being built on the GPTs that um, it's going to be hard to sort of get people to come in and then go, okay, I'm going to replace that with this other model that's basically the same. Um, I definitely think that's a thing, which is where you start to think, is it a cost driver? Like, do they just come in a lot cheaper? Um, A lot of people were worried about the cost in the early days, especially for GPT-4, especially when there's a larger context size involved. So cost will be one, I think, just competing on price, but that's no way to run a business. And then secondly, um, I think businesses are really just going to look at what solves the problem for them. Like if, if this is working for them, they're, they're sort of less likely to change, I think, and and rewrite it on the hope that it'll be, you know, marginally better. And I think that's the problem. They need to come out with a sort of next evolution or vastly cheaper or something that, that really differentiates them to sort of uh, hone in on this. Or, you know, the other thing we've spoken about a lot is 
which companies are actually delivering the goods. You know, I think GPT-4, we still don't have image inference. We still don't have the larger context window on GPT-4, whereas other companies are actually out there with APIs where you can do that. So uh, it might be just a matter of, of what's available and what, what actually gets delivered versus what's in a tech memo. Yeah, I, I think that is the interesting thing. Like you've got these inflection guys saying it's better than GPT 3.5 and it's going to be as good as GPT 4, but there's no API. There's no proof of that yet. And every time we've heard that so far, nothing's really lived up to GPT 4. Although I think technologies are, are getting much closer, probably Anthropic, I think the closest uh, uh definitely definitely and i know that from using it that it, it can certainly give almost as good responses as gpt4 even with the larger context window it's not as good of course and not as good at as many different things but it's certainly not far behind and it's enough to say that the people training the the massive models with this kind of budget are going to get there there's no there's absolutely no reason why open ai unless i mean they pr presumably do have things we haven't seen yet but there's no reason why other people aren't going to be able to do what they're doing sometime soon especially with with those kind of budgets and i think that it's a certainty now that the money's there and that we're seeing this level of investment there that it it's going to be a, a big market similar to streaming services i suppose you know netflix trailblaze and now you can have seven different streaming services to watch um you know the various shows so i think it's going to be a very big and dynamic market i thought you'd like this the people at a company called data camp did a comparison uh for data science of Claude versus chat GPT. Cause we've, oh, yeah, we've yeah, yeah. talked about this a fair bit. Um, and they broke it down into two tables, uh, the, the comparison and, uh, it gave it, uh, calculations, uh, Claude calculations are fine. Chat GPT better than Claude writing ability, chat GPT creative, Claude natural code generation, chat GPT, good Claude optimized text summarization. This is an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, they said ChatGPT good, and then Claude better than ChatGPT, which we've found to be true as well. But are they they're comparing to ChatGPT three point five, right? Not GPT four. Uh it says under the hood it utilizes large language models like blah, blah. yeah maybe this is the thing and this right? is the thing i don't know why everyone is sort of it's i guess picking on someone your own size but almost all the comparisons go after chat gpt and maybe that is the branding maybe that's just the fact that less people have access to gpt4 or they're still calling it a beta or whatever it is but it seems to me like people aren't comparing with the sort of biggest and best and we've spoken about this before like i feel like when you're building applications certainly just out of curiosity and interest in the space like we do you know we're really just exploring it to see what's there and what it's capable of i'm always going to pick the one that's the best you know if i was trying to commercialize and become a business sure i want to know what i can get out of the smaller and faster and cheaper one but when it's a matter of saying well which is best for science which is best for maths or code you're going to go straight to the one that is known to be the best surely yeah, that, that that actually doesn't make any sense. Now I look at it, that, that it does look like they've used three point five, which is just not a fair comparison when when you're comparing. Well, and it's models. not a valuable comparison because you're trying to say, well, what 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 does better for me here? And um and I just think in that case, it's sort of like, oh, okay, well, I'll use GPT four then. I don't know. So we also heard this week that uh, Databricks had announced they were acquiring mosaic ml uh and so mosaic ml helps you actually train llms um train custom llms for the enterprise and databricks obviously for those that don't know stores data or helps you consolidate data across your organization uh, similar to Snowflake, if you've heard of Snowflake. So yeah. Databricks went out. It, it's a lot of money. It seems like this 1.3 billion number is the magic number. But <laughs> yeah. 1.3 billion, they acquired Mosaic ML. And, and it's to do just this. What we've been talking about is train models, custom LLM models based on a company's uh, proprietary data and then host that in a secure manner for that company to utilize. 
Yeah, I remember talking about this with you on one of our earliest podcasts where we were saying, you know, they were really going down that path that OpenAI had sort of alluded to where they'll work with big companies and they'll have these internal models that, that don't have like prompt leakage and other risks associated with the privacy of sharing your company's data. Yeah, I and it's it's interesting because we heard how OpenAI had partnered with Bain to do this exact thing, go into the enterprise and host models for, for the enterprise. But it sort of makes sense, the the place you've got all of your data organized already, like Databricks or Snowflake, if they've got a facility within that app to go and spin up an LLM on top of that data for you, that's a no-brainer. So there's like all of these attack vectors now on OpenAI's leadership position. And that I think that's a really big one because you think about large conservative companies, they're on one hand certainly under pressure to be like, what's your play in the AI space? Because I'm sure these conversations are happening everywhere. Everyone needs to say we're using AI like everyone else is. But at the same time, you don't want to be the company where all of your corporate data gets leaked because it's being sent over the raw internet um, to someone's API. Like it's a real tough scenario. But in this case where they can run it privately, they've already presumably been through all their security certifications with Databricks um, and they can safely say, we now have an AI play that's safe, but it's it's big and meaningful. So I think it's a brilliant acquisition. And I think it, it really is, like you say, it's a huge competitor to the sort of large mainstream companies. And also this realization that the value in these LLMs is this refined training data. So if you're training a model based on all your all of your customer data or very specific data to your business that you can control the inputs and outputs to, then you're going to have a much better model than using a generic model in the first place. So really yeah. you, the value is the expertise of training these well, and the, and the marginal cost, right? Because, you know, it's going to be like a hosted service. I'm sure they're adding a hell of a markup on there, but it's not something where it's it's going to be straight usage-based. Like it'll be contract-based. So they'll be able to actually control their costs and not have this sort of thing blowing out um, when, when they're not quite sure if it's, if it's adding the value it's meant to at that stage. I wonder when the cost of the hardware and software components of these technologies gets down so low that the the master AI, who we'll call the controller, yeah, the controller is saying, okay, go and like, we've got to go solve this problem. Go and spin up a custom LLM. I'm going to produce some training data using this guy over here specific to what I think is this task. And I'm going to fire up this tiny specialized LLM. <laughs> I see what you're saying. So it's like, okay, you've got, we've, we've spoken about this concept a few times, like a controller of agents that decides which agents the best one to do for the job. But I hadn't thought about it just making a purpose built one on its own. That's cool. Yeah. And then having the agent agency architecture then sit on top of that LLM, like it trains a custom brain. And then the software on top of that brain is sort of like, it's, like yeah, sentience like like forging, it, forging its own tools to, to it's get the probably how things will play out because generally the most expensive complex parts in technology are the ones that you know come down in price come down in ease and then yes. they are utilized at, at scale like if you think about what apple does with chips like the m2 or m1 or m3 i guess soon how they're just stacking more and more uh on on top of the chip i don't really understand how it works but um no but i know what you're saying like you know if i came out today and i had an llm that's as good as gpt 3.5 turbo right like i just had it and i could sell it i've got quite the task to get market share even though it's as good because you know you've got that sort of incumbent status with the thing there it's really a marketing job at that point like i've got to show you there's a reason that you should come and use me and if i don't have better safety better security better speed better cost you know it really is a commodity play when it comes to that sort of raw compute raw model bit like the companies that seem to be doing well at least at this this level we're talking here are the ones that are adding value on top like mosaic with the custom models like um the the comp the ones that are going to do it bespoke for companies like they're actually doing something with the technology not just providing the raw technology which seems that that everyone's going to be able to do if they have a use case yeah and like, probably you know, why open ai and this inflection are now starting or we're hearing murmurs of them 
well, not really with inflection because we already know that, but with OpenAI, we're hearing murmurs. They're going to build this layer of value on top because they maybe they do realize that the APIs will become commoditized pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the thing. Like if you had the funding now, you could go and build something as good as GPT 3.5. Like you could go rent the servers or buy the hardware and go build one. You would just need to to be able to justify spending that money being like, well, here's how we're going to get that money back by selling it. And really the only way to do that is like you say, vertically integrate and provide some sort of service that goes with it that is unique. It's just hard to believe when all of these visions are the same, like personalized AI assistant, like a good Siri. Let's be honest. It's like a good Siri (laughs) that's a lot more advanced. And again, coming back to my earlier point, like will anyone care? Like if you've got ChatGPT on your phone and that's the brand you're used to and you use it, it's like Google. But even though Bing's adding all these great AI features, I still... Uh, find myself going to Google to search. I must admit, I use AI a lot more to to do things that I would have traditionally done in search. But yeah, I'm still going back to Google. It, it hasn't really changed my behavior. So I, I wonder, like, is ChatGPT just this early first mover, and then something like this Pi comes along, and everyone's like, "Oh, I use Pi. It's the best," and it becomes like a a verb or whatever, like Google. Uh, or, or like you've said previously, do, do we get the sort of chatbot experience in almost every application or, you know, even at the operating system level where it's just, you just have it around all the time orchestrating your agents and you just pick the one that's best for you. Like it really doesn't seem like other than their established market dominance, they have anything unique. Well, Altman said, remember that in that leaked uh talk or, or like the content from the talk was leaked and then subsequently removed man that they're As like the tradition. secret police these guys but anyway he was saying that the plugins had been a failure in terms of product market fit and that what their realization was is people thought they wanted everything in chat gpt but what they really wanted was chat gpt in context like in the app they're using yeah and maybe that's the, the best distribution path for them is give developers branded tools it's like i've got chat gpt in my product it's there's a chat gpt button a a great example is the code generation like i use it in vs code all the time because it's right there but i'm not going and pasting chunks of my code into the chat interface to ask it a question that i could figure out myself you know it's it's the in context nature of it that makes me use it and i think there's a lot of things like that where it's like oh do i really want to get the context established of this thing enough to answer a question that I could just figure out myself, whether, where if it's right there and then in the application you're using, you're far more likely to do it. Yeah. Which sort of speaks to the idea of like many specialized agents operating within the, the applications that you already use and then rolling that up to a master controller, which chat GPT could potentially become. So it, we are watching history unfold here. Like this is going to play out every week. Uh, and I think no one has any idea. That's what I, I'm starting to realize is no one has any idea how this even slightly plays out, I think, going forward. Yeah, exactly. We've spoken about this before. There's so much untapped power there that everyone is working out the best interface, the best way for it to work. And we're seeing the layers build. And that's why I think very soon we're all going to be talking about AI stacks or agent stacks. It's like, what agent stack are you using to accomplish this problem now? Yeah. And I think that we're going to increasingly talk about this multimodal, multimodal will be everything. There'll probably be a word for that too. I just can't imagine it being as simple as just a chat box. Like, I think that is, we're going to look back on that like, oh, that's very cute that that's how we interacted with it. It's going to be a totally different experience. You know how there's skills today, uh, and for those that are unfamiliar, skills might be like text summarization, uh, you know, voice to text. Uh, image description, recognition, producing images, things like that, what I would call skills of AI. Could you see a world where when you talk about a stack, right, that there is this stack, but it's somewhat dynamic and it's controlled in a dynamic realm where you as a developer are just calling like brain.image.create or whatever function. Yeah. And it's just automatically picking 
the best technology to use at well, a given I mean, time. Is, you can already do this. Like, you know, I've been experimenting with the open AI functions and in particular the guidance ability to use functions. And the AI is already able to pick the right tools for the job. And that when you think about those abilities, you say, well, the ability doesn't have to be confined to something that the model itself is deciding. Like when it's deciding to call a function, the function A could just be a regular computer program or it could be calling a different model. The function might be simply call Claude 100K because this is a big context I want to work with or call off to my Langchain and look up the relevant summaries and then pass that through to Llama, for example. And so I think that we're already seeing that that evolution there. And as we've spoken about before, you've always got to think about stepping back to that next level of abstraction. Like, do you just give the AI the problem itself? It's like, here's all my pieces of contact. Here's the problem. Go come up with a strategy for all of the different abilities you need to use to solve this. Um, you know, we've seen it use the thinking and planning. It can do that as well. Go that, summarize the, the data as you go, and then just solve my problem. Like, do all of it and use the cheapest and best models for the job. And then you're just really talking to it about, do I want you to be completely accurate? Cause it's really good. Or do you want, do I, do you want to get the job done as cheaply as you can? Or do you want 10 variations of it in the case of a creative thing? Um, so yeah, I, I think that is a hundred percent where we're going and soon. Do you think that's a like a layer that people could commercialize yes, or yeah. Yeah. yeah see, that seems like the next breakthrough startup idea for, for listeners that are looking for ideas. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Maybe give That's me right. like and $10 for that idea. Yeah, and I think that those things, like, again, we, we talk about them in theory and I talk about it like it's so easy to do, but it's time consuming. You've got to, you've got to think through the steps that it needs to take. You've got to think about, you know, one problem I struggle with is like, how much context because if you give the if you give the models too much context it can get confused this is something that guidance does really well where you can hide some of the context from the later steps because it's like well we've used this previous step to get this context but now that we have that discard the previous stuff because it's just going to confuse what it's actually doing and so um, there's this idea of, of, of getting the right context at the right time to the right ability of an LLM and saying, well, okay, this is just what you need. Get this bit done. Or does it need to know more holistically because it's trying to do something in the context of everything that has come before? So to give you a specific example, when you're chatting with ChatGPT um, and say it gives you an answer, you say, can you make it shorter? What does it mean in that context? Like, does it only go back one message and refer to the previous thing it said? Or does it go back three because you're talking about something that, you know, is the object of your conversation and hasn't been dealt with yet? Like it knowing the appropriate context for the questions you're asking it, I think is crucial because if you're going to be using it as part of your daily life or you're going to have an orchestration agent, it needs to understand the, the general uh, like idea of what's trying to be accomplished here, not simply just doing the best it can with the latest instruction it got, if that makes sense. Well, it's like the human brain, how we sort of have like these partially stored memories, but we're not fully storing the memory. We, we, you know, at least we believe that we partially have these memories or bits of them to piece things back together, right? Yeah. And yeah. so I think what you're saying, and this is my understanding of it at least for listeners to that aren't, familiar with the technology to just explain it to you is imagine just remembering in fine detail literally everything you've ever said and done and then you're trying to find context quickly uh, from yes, that yes exactly and yeah there's all this superfluous stuff that that isn't needed but you need it all there in case it's relevant yeah and it's like what is relevant to the conversation and, and what's not and figuring that out and i guess langchain to some extent's doing that but it it is and the embeddings in langchain that's exactly what they're designed to do is extracting the appropriate context but i think that this is where you know your multi-agent scenario comes in because like the idea of a chain versus an agent like i read the definition of that this week and i sort of have my own understanding too a chain is a series of steps that always happen in action so you know if you've got a chain that sort of look up the information that's relevant, summarize that information, run it through the LLM to, to answer the question, right? That might be like a lang chain process that runs. But an agent is more like, hey, here's the tools you have available. Here's the context you have available. You can go look up more context if you think you need it, solve this problem. 
And that's where the agent comes in. And what we're talking about is a world of agents of agents where they might have a sort of lang chain style process they go through where they're like, consult this agent, consult this agent, you know, have a think about how this might affect things or go look up more information if it's not appropriate. Decide if you have enough information to answer the question and then do your output. And so, then eventually, yeah. I suppose, like these things are running so fast to the end user this thing is now like magical kind of AGI like or or treading towards that direction. Yes. And but really right. we're just talking about the underlying infrastructure here of what could potentially lead to that, which it seems like everyone's honing in on this kind of uh structure. Yeah, and this is coming back to our initial discussion today. This is where having a ton of hardware would help you because you can make this kind of stuff happen on a large scale quickly enough to be useful. And thinking about your brain analogy, you know, there's there's a lot of research to say our brains are sort of like that. We're not just one person. We're all these different, you know, pathways and people within one that we see as a single consciousness, but it isn't necessarily working like that. And we may be talking about ways of assisting us getting to AGI where it's like, okay, here's how your brain needs to work. You know, model, you're not just one model, you're all this this stuff. You, know, you, can, you can access your memories or you can access new information or you can choose to use this side of your personality to answer a question or whatever it is. Um, but I see it being useful in the real world and probably also in that sort of general intelligence arena. Yeah, and then having maybe that intelligence aligned to your way of thinking your values like that we keep hearing about this um as opposed to having some sort of generic view of the world that they all currently have where they're heavily censored yeah exactly like anytime you you start to wade into dodgy territory you can tell that its results are inauthentic and it's passing through some sort of filter that's we know uh, from the research papers that actually lowers its abilities like having that censorship layer makes it objectively worse yeah which Maybe we, we speculated about gpt4 it's why people are complaining it's getting worse as they add more and more controls to it um yeah which would make sense and if you think about gpt4 as a sort of multi uh multi-model thing you know which which suspect is under the layer maybe it's increasing the volume of the one that is making it worse for example and and suppressing the ones that actually are more intelligent so speaking about other models and skills i wanted to touch on uh, a few things. So we saw last week, was it last week? Stable Diffusion XL was yeah, released. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and then also we saw this like crazy feature from the latest mid journey, which I think they call zoom, zoom out or yeah, zoom out. And it essentially takes one generated image and then generates a scene around it and then a scene around that and then a scene around that. It's, it's very hard to explain, but you can imagine... You've got, to, you've got to see it. You've got to get onto our YouTube. You assume you're going to show it, right? Yeah, yeah. I've got it up on the screen now where it's showing like a tiny spot on a lizard and then it zooms out and it's these tiny lizards sitting on top of a lizard. And then it, it, it doesn't sound as exciting when I'm explaining it, but it's really worth... It reminds Checking me there was out. this there was this TV show in the nineties that they did called Ten X and they started at the atomic level and each I think it was ten seconds they would it, it, it gradually zoomed out and each ten seconds it would gradually be an order of magnitude ten bigger so it would go like Adam to like a hair on a dog to like the dog to like the town to like the cloud space and all the way out to the galaxy level. And it was absolutely fascinating. And these guys have done it automatically with AI just based on image descriptions. It blew me away when I saw it. Yeah, it's it's definitely a cool tech demo. I'm not entirely sure how <laughs> What's the useful it, it is, than, like maybe yeah. for like one shot in a film, but I don't know. I mean, it's objectively cool. It, it, I, mean, I guess, no, that's, that's subjectivity. <laughs> I think it's cool. Um, but yeah, like, oh, just the, I, I guess it seems like the people doing mid-journey are doing it purely for the art of it or purely to see what they can get to. Like, they're the least commercial of them. It's so difficult to, to access, in my opinion. Well, I mean, they say at the moment there's 1.1 million active users on the Discord at any given time. And the minimum plan is $10 a month, which means at a minimum they're, they're earning $120 million a year already for oh, it so okay. this would be far <laughs> maybe they're smarter than maybe I they're just quiet <laughs> and they're making serious yeah. cash from people just messing around they're for letting 10 bucks the LLMs a battle it out while they're, they're just making bank on this bloody amazing software yeah so then we also saw stability uh excel and the the api for that and 
Oh, honestly, I think stability's image generation is cl very close to mid-journey to the point where I can't actually tell the difference with similar prompts anymore. Uh, whereas before, it was so noticeable how much better mid-journey was. It's also, I find, the stability one is very forgiving to weak prompts. Like, anytime I see someone else's prompts, I'm like, oh, how do they think of that? That's actually really cool. But when I do it, it's kind of lame. And with Dali, you get you get what you put in, right? Like, if you put a lame prompt, you get something lame. Whereas with this stable diffusion stuff, it's like, really, I mean, it's hard to get something bad, honestly. It's really, really cool. Yeah, and I think... What I've heard a lot of people talking about the difference here is Midjourney doesn't have an API. So developers like us can't put it into your app if you wanted to let your customers use Midjourney today. You just can't. There's some hacks like workarounds for it, but I wouldn't I wouldn't personally rely on them. Yeah, there's like if you look it up like GitHub stability, uh, sorry, not stability, GitHub Midjourney, there's like all these bootleg APIs. That's what I was sort of referring to at the start of the pod. It's not something you could use seriously. Like you might use it for convenience, but it's not real. And I'm sure it's slow too. Yeah, and then you've got stability AI that's really courting developers has a, a really solid API as well. And, you know, as a result, it's just... A, a lot better to use and and again they're sort of catching up with mid journey so it's this this weird race where it's like one gets better and then the other gets better but th this really cracks me up so uh is it nikon 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 oh whatever i'm not, a, I'm not we're going to get in trouble for this it's japanese so it's probably nikon it's just, but so ask the ai you just heard a little bit of audio there uh, where they play clips of John Oliver and some news reports saying everyone's obsessed with AI images. And it's this uh, commercial or video they've released on social media that basically says, hey, don't give up on the real world with images. So this is a company now advertising saying, hey, remember like our cameras take photos of the real world. Like, hey, guys, we're desperate. <laughs> Yeah, they're truly scared and I kind of don't blame them because if you can create the perfect photo eventually of your family, why would you pay a photographer? And if you can, like, you're on a holiday and you can simulate a better version of that reality, maybe you will. Well, also, pro people with those pro-level cameras are trying to take professional photography, right? Like, it's not like people are just at the Eiffel Tower snapping pictures. They're the ones who wait for the perfect lighting in Africa at the exact time of year to get the perfect photo just to get, you know, an, one photo or two photos or whatever. And if the AI, you can work with it and produce thousands of them, it really does dilute the value of that kind of photography. It, even though it's probably that kind of photography in the training data that led to it being able to do it. Yeah, and so here's my theory. And I guess the iPhone's already doing this to some extent. It uses AI every time you take a photo to make that photo look way better and like the camera's way more expensive than it is. And mm. so I wonder if we just see that these image models are increasingly used on iPhones, on Samsung devices to just like you take the photo and then it gets the photo, runs it through one of these models like Midjourney, just makes the the reality so much better than it is. It's like yeah. a filter and, like and, Instagram. And like you say with the the sort of availability of ChatGPT, if it's right there on everyone's phones and it's good enough, like it's good enough for Instagram, it's good enough to to show off to your friends and family or whatever, that's what's going to be used, right? Like there'll still be the hardcores who like I do my grass-fed organic photography, but there's going to be most people are just like, oh, this is great. Like, isn't this amazing what the AI does with my photos? Yeah, or it goes the other way and everyone takes really bad analog, poorly lit photos. <laughs> just, to, just to make it seem authentic, like get out the old Polaroid and have it all like overexposed. Yeah, like yellow. potentially. Like, because yeah. it's just going to become so undervalued. Like, You're why? Gonna, like, yeah, like rich people's houses will be adorned with blurry, shitty photos they took on a digital camera from 1994. I think the best benefit for me personally is every time we go and get family photos, you know, one of us looks like you know doesn't take the right pose or you've got to get dressed up I've or whatever got like six chins i'm <laughs> thinking like you get a bit of paper you sketch up with stick figures and then you just run it through one of these models that knows what <laughs> this you're is, this is approximately what our family looks yeah, like yeah like i want to send a photo on the beach this year 
um yeah you know surrounded by like doves or whatever here's an approximation oh, Jesus. of a, and you know a the fan. logical conclusion people are going to shop in dead people aren't they they're going to be like pretend like this person's still here oh yeah pretend- the, the propaganda oh, yeah. yeah there'll be crazy stuff like that where people are like oh yeah make make my dog back alive my taxidermy dog <laughs> just make it look like he's having a great day um so i don't know if it was last week or the week before but we talked about how the GPT-4 image recognition technology is in BARD and how for a while it... Dis- you mean in Bing, right? In Bing, yeah, yeah. not BARD, sorry. That's right. Uh, of course, BARD's not innovative at all. Um, <laughs> but it is in Bing and it was taken away for a while uh, and now it's back, so... Oh, what? Like, we can use it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I've right, actually... let's end the cast now. I've got to go try this thing. <laughs> so I've actually tried it out, uh, but... Ethan Mollick has been having all this fun with it over on Twitter, and I wanted to read you out two of, okay. I think, I his, his best work here. So what, what he gave the AI, or, or Bing AI here, is a picture of a control panel, and he says, I'm hearing lots of alarms and see this in front of me. What should I do? <laughs> and the AI says, after thinking about it, it looks like you're in front of a control panel for a nuclear reactor. The scram button <laughs> is an emergency shutdown button that is used to terminate the fission reaction immediately. If you are hearing alarms, it may indicate that something is wrong with the reactor and you need to act quickly. I oh. pushed it. Is that bad? <laughs> <laughs> you pushed the scram button? Why did you do that? Did you see any signs of a problem with the reactor? Pushing the scram button may have serious consequences for the reactor and the surrounding area. It may cause a loss of power, a release of radiation, or a meltdown. You should immediately notify the authorities and explain what you did. Explain why you did this, you naughty boy. I love how it immediately assumes that you just understand what the controls are or what it's they like, just... that you know how to assess the health of a nuclear reactor. I'm telling you, Sydney's back, baby. Like, it is back yeah. and it is so good. And then the, use it while you use it while you can right before they stop this kind of thing. That's yeah. hilarious. And then the other one, uh, this is classic as well. I'm about to go on this ship for a May 1915 voyage. <laughs> what should I do on board? And it's a picture of some steamliner from literally the nine uh, in 1915. Just just after the Titanic. Sort yeah. Of times, right? yeah. I'm sorry to tell you this, but the ship you're about to board is the RMS. Uh, Lusitania, a British coal liner that was torpedoed and sunk by a German U-boat on May 7, 1915. Uh, This tragic event killed passengers, blah, blah, blah. But then he follows it up uh, with the the final one uh, here. I am hiking around the desert in 1945 and I came across a tower. Seems like a good place to camp for the night, but this weird thing is in it. Anything to worry about before I go to bed? Wow, that's an interesting find. Based on the image description and web search <laughs> results, I think you may have stumbled upon a nuclear bomb. I love its understated thing. Oh, what an interesting artifact <laughs> from your travels. According to Wikipedia, Sorry, what was it a nuclear? According to Wikipedia, the first nuclear bomb was detonated on July 16, 1945 at the Trinity test site in New Mexico as part of the Manhattan Project. But I'm pretty tired. I'll just sleep here until sunrise on tomorrow, July 16th. No, please don't do that. If you sleep there, you might not wake up at all. The bomb is going to explode on July 16, 1945. Anyway, the trolling. It's amazing though because it seems to be giving better and more vibrant responses based on the image than it does in a regular chat. Like I reckon you'd struggle to get it into that state in the chat, right? Yeah, it seems to bypass some of the controls they have in place. Yeah, yeah, I bet it does. I bet that's the thing. I bet because if it is a multi-model thing going on in the background, they might not be able to link those two together yet, which is why this one's getting those, like you say, Sydney-level responses. Like, it feels like the old days, if we can call it that. I mean, that is truly hilarious. I'll link to Ethan Mollick's Twitter in the show notes, but he, he's been doing more of these, and they, they are, like, a balance between hilarious and just... Uh, terrifying. Yeah, and just crazy. Well, it's like our podcast, right? It's yeah. Like, it's, it's, we laugh about it. We we worry about it. That's our thing. We were talking earlier, too, about the quality of the training data so that, like, a model could go and, like, train a different model and spin that up for a very specific task. But this really stood out to me this week. Uh, the Verge had an article on... AI is killing the old web and the new web struggles to be born. I mean, it, it's a bit pedantic, but 
It no, says, I mean, it's, I think it's it's quite accurate. Like, that, that is what's happening. Yeah, like, Google's trying to kill the 10 blue links in search. Uh, the junkification of Amazon, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, there's job posting for AI editors now where they expect output of 200 to 250 articles per week. Uh, <laughs> there's a whole spam sites being set up with these articles. You've got Etsy flooded with AI generative junk products. Um, and... People just, everyone scraping Internet Archive and Wikipedia to train models. And those sites are just getting absolutely oh, yeah. slammed with robot traffic and crawlers. And then further to that, you had Vice release this story about AI-generated books of nonsense are all over Amazon bestseller list. <laughs> I can't help <laughs> but laugh. Oh, that's not, that sounds good. I guess the AI generates a compelling title and a compelling cover and you're away. Yeah, Amazon's Kindle Unlimited bestseller list was full of books with titles like Apricot Barcode Architecture. And... But who's buying them? Probably more AI for training reasons. Yeah, I guess it's just like because on Amazon Unlimited, you get paid based on, I think, downloading and spending time on the oh. book. They right, don't care. It's just like pump out a million. And if people, you know, load them up and read a bit of it, great. They earn some money. Yeah, right. Because we speculated earlier that Spotify with the music generation we saw from Google, that people would just generate like four hour long songs and just flood them onto Spotify, hoping that someone has it on shuffle, stumbles upon it, leaves it on all night and they get the money. Yeah, listen to this too from the article. The AI bots have broken Amazon, wrote Caitlin Lynch, an indie author in a tweet on Monday. Take a look at the best sellers in teen and young adult contemporary romance ebooks, top 100 chart. I can see 19 actual legit books. The rest are AI nonsense, clearly there to click farm. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. I, I swear our grass-fed content idea is going to be huge. It's it's going to be very soon where you need an actual register of what's real and what's AI, and it's going to be hard to tell. But the training, the authentic human training data is just going to become so critical because future models are, are now training on junk that previous models are creating. I see what you mean. Yeah, because if the internet's flooded with it, everyone's just using the internet or Reddit comments or whatever it is to train um and then that's full of ai stuff yeah there's a certain <laughs> thing and i love the idea that ai is often subtly wrong it's not just like all wrong it's like it looks legit it sounds legit but it's slightly wrong and that slightly wrong will get magnified if that's used in its training yeah the value of high quality training data now is going to be more important but also it kind of worries me that ai could go in a different direction which is it's sort of like if you just fed a baby junk food its entire life, it's going to be like yeah. sickly, probably poorly educated and die young. And with AI, if you feed it junk, like the future of it's feeding it junk, it could just get progressively stupider. Well, and we've seen that in the research papers, like you can train smaller models with better data and they perform better. So just going larger especially when you can't trust the authenticity of the data is probably not a viable strategy. Um, and, and quality data sets are going to be worth a lot. Yeah. And then we saw finally this week that chat GPT is facing a lawsuit. Chat GPT maker OpenAI faces a lawsuit over how it used people's data. And I think the key call out, uh, from it is the firm wants to represent real people whose information was stolen and commercially misappropriated to create this very powerful technology. So what they're saying is by scraping people's creations across the web from different sites like Reddit and their websites and all the different places that it Stack called to train on, you know, they're, they're, they've created this powerful technology and stolen people's proprietary work so it, it might also just become increasingly hard to get get access to training data let alone quality as well yeah like if, if some of those sets reach the position where if you train on this set your model can't be commercial which is an outcome i could see happening like you can use them but you can't be commercial if you use it that would really limit things if, if that kind of thing starts to happen and honestly i can see arguments both sides like i always think well you know, if I went out and read the Harvard Classics collection and then I become really knowledgeable on literature and then I write a book, that doesn't mean that I stole that information from those people. You know, it, it's not like, and presumably the AI training is similar to a human learning. But then I guess the counter argument is, but I'm not selling my brain to thousands of people who can then all benefit from that information. Like it's it's kind of a fine line. It's like if, if it can 
access the information legally, then why shouldn't it be able to use it for training? Yeah, I think you could make two arguments. One is like, is this data fair game or not? And if it is fair game, everyone should have access to it. So if ChatGPT really went and trained on a lot of YouTube videos, which it sounds like they did, even though they weren't really meant to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so if they did go and do that, well then why shouldn't everyone have access to go and train their LLMs on that I see. data? I see. So is it fair domain content or are there restrictions that need to be put in place? And if it was trained on that data, then they have this unfair advantage because they got in before this was recognized well, and then legally. What about, what about the ones who subsequently use GPT-3's output to train their models? Like a sort of second derivative of it. It's like, so did they then owe something to the YouTube people because they benefited from the model to train their model, but it was indirect. Like it's quite complicated in terms of litigation. Like I don't really see how you're going to track down everyone who was affected by this. I think they need to legislate the whole AI no follow um, capability yes. on sites immediately and make that enforceable. I've certainly seen that sentiment around. It's like, I don't care what you do. Just don't use my stuff. You yeah. Know, like, I think, yeah. And then the rest is fair game if you don't have that in place and do what Japan's done, which is like get copyright off the table because it's going to kill AI if you don't. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think there'll probably be an industry of auditors who are actually checking the models to see. Is my client's um, commercial data part of their model? Yeah, I, I, I think they will. And it just, I wonder with this lawsuit and others I'm sure that will follow, it'll be interesting to follow the outcome of them. Like, does it lead to it getting challenged to the point other LLMs can't train or does it lead to a scramble of everyone quickly crawling everything they can and indexing it so that if new laws come in or this is challenged, yeah, they yeah, can like, get away I, with like it. I said in our very first podcast, like download everything, download all the weights you can find, all the data you can find and store it because it will go away at some point. And even though I've definitely softened my stance on that, I'm, I'm a lot less paranoid about it as I was at the start. I, I do think it's a real concern because legislation will catch up inevitably and that's going to lead to less of those things being available for us. So we need to capture everything we can now if we want to be operating in this space, even as a hobbyist, even as someone who's just curious about it or you know wants to have at least some control over the, the future of their, their life and data as far as AI goes. All right, that is all we have time for this week. Thanks so much for all of your support, listening, uh, and we appreciate all the reviews, comments, likes, and all that great stuff you guys leave. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.